Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and this morning we have with us Kareem Hajar, and um, I think you're on the the marquee there, right? Hajar Peters, the name of your law firm. That's right. Excellent. Good. Nice to have you. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Um, so just to kick this thing off here, latte with a lawyer, and I see you're drinking a cup of coffee. What's your morning beverage of choice to get started? Uh, normally, it's going to be an Earl Grey tea. And today it is a vanilla cookie latte. I just thought, you know, we're, we're latteing with a lawyer. So can't right. set out. I, I appreciate that. Where'd you get that? I mean, you didn't make that at home, did you? No, it, uh, we have one of those Nespresso things here and we just order the pods and, and vanilla cookie was my, was my draw today. Vanilla cookie. Wow. Is, uh, Nespresso's, those are better than uh, the old Keurig's, aren't they? Yes, they are. They're actually pretty, pretty damn good. I, I, think, I mean, I never liked Keurig's. I, I thought they would taste like tinny. They didn't, they had no taste. I agree. There's a there's another word I have in my mouth that I won't share would be recorded. But yeah, it tastes terrible. You're welcome to share whatever you want. <laughs> this is this is casual. <laughs> whatever you feel comfortable with, we're good. No censorship on the show. But uh, yeah, no, okay. I have to try one of those because you know, making a pot of coffee takes a little bit of work than espresso's fast. Right. It's it's actually pretty darn good as you know, espresso. It uh it's not gonna compare with a you know a pole and, and an awesome one, but for 85 cents it does the job it's pretty Excellent. it's actually really good coffee i, I enjoy it good I'm, I'm gonna go get myself one all right well listen touring to business here tell us about the uh your law practice what you do uh, my my practice i have a very unique practice i represent banks okay doing documents i represent real estate developers and landlords and tenants but the, the, the coolest part, the part that people like to talk about typically, is we represent 5,000 or so bars and restaurants across the country. Package stores, liquor stores, convenience stores, wineries, breweries, distilleries, hotels, you name it. If they sell alcohol, we represent them across all of their facets and, and basically anything they need, we do. Okay, so I mean, I see you have a lot of wine behind you. Is that because of your clients, or or you have those clients because you're like for wine? Both, honestly. Both. Both. You know what? Uh, what I learned early on in my practice is when you try to say thank you to a bar restaurant owner, you can't take them to eat because it doesn't work. Right? They own a restaurant, and you can't buy them a bottle of bourbon because they have it already. So. It, it's basically enabled my habit of buying wine. So because now I can buy whatever wine I want and and we'll drink it with clients or give it to clients and, and it's great. So what they can't get, if you're a fine dining restaurant, you get access to lots and lots of amazing wine. But it's typically current vintage wine. It's not 20 year old Bordeaux or, or you know, and, and they have to buy in quantities where they're not typically buying six of something. Right. So so when you when you go to a Papa's or whatever it is, they're they're buying cases and cases of the wine. So there's a lot of wines that even if they are the finest restaurant, they probably don't have all the wines that they would love to drink, just because they can't buy them. So 
we buy them and and we leave them back here and 10 years later there's a reason to open one or we close the deal and someone's got a birth vintage or a celebration we open up a birth vintage and so there's lots of wines in there from the 70s 80s 90s it's cool it's a it's a cool it's a cool hobby that that has a that's oh, a purpose that, yeah that's yeah, perfect yeah. that's fun. nice well what's your and favorite though what's you, your you favorite have to open the wines when they go bad so so we're opening wines on a regular basis and sharing them with friends, clients. It's it's fun. It's a really cool deal. Yeah, that, I like that. That's a that's a yeah, that's a neat hobby. What what's your favorite uh, wine region? I'm torn between uh, Riesling and Champagne right now. Really interesting. Riesling is Riesling is probably the the best grape in the world, in my opinion. Those, I mean, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a wine aficionado, so. I mean, but that's a sweeter, right? That's more, isn't that more like a dessert kind of wine? It can be. Um, yep. it, it can be. It can be made very dry and crisp, like okay. you would get in Pinot Grigio or Sauvignon Blanc. It'll be a little rounder. Yep. But then it can be made into incredibly sweet, but very acidic, really balanced dessert wine. Kind of like if people, lemons are really sour. You don't typically put a lemon in your mouth. It's super acidic, right? And and you typically don't just drink sugar water because it's sweet, but it's not particularly good tasting. But you put those two together and you have this sort of magic in lemonade. And reasoning is the same way. It is. They can be made super, super sweet, but it is so acidic that it gives it a balance that is is remarkable. It's so good. I drink I could drink it all the time. I should be drinking Riesling. You should be drinking it right now. Now you don't want to do that. We'll have another show if you if you start drinking that this time of day. <laughs> So, uh, all right. So, so t give, tell me more about your, about the kind of law you do. Like what are the issues? What are the cases? What, 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 what kind of work more specifically? Uh, my practice is transactional in nature. Okay. So we, we form hundreds of entities. We're doing hundreds of capital raises, securities documents. We're, we're forming many, many trademarks every year. We're obtaining lots of TABC permits, Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission, permits for for all of the different clients that we have in their categories um, we're drafting licensing agreements and negotiating franchise agreements and labor and employment right now is a huge issue tip pooling remains a huge issue as, as you have coming out of covid we're trying to find new and and novel ways to get people back to work so clients are trying to incentivize them with being parts of tip pools so that they can make a little extra money mm. and and it's how you do that legally, which is a challenge. And it is something that has, has kept our labor and employment side pretty busy in the last couple of years. Uh, again, it's, it's literally everything that they do from transactional work to slip and falls to a partner suing us or we're suing a partner to, you know, to we're, we're shutting down and we don't know what to do. Or we're hemorrhaging money and we need to renegotiate our, our debt, our leases, contracts, et cetera. It's restaurants bars restaurants and, and the entire hospitality industry it's a remarkable industry people don't realize until they're in it just how complicated it is to run a restaurant and and just how many legal issues there are and the fact that someone is a good cook good chef uh or or a magnetic bartender and somebody says you should open your own place they get into it and they realize that they are so far over their skis that this is far beyond anything oh, that yeah. they could ever comprehended having to be an expert in construction trying to manage your build outs and they don't know about that they know how to right. make an amazing Manhattan they don't they don't know how to manage a construction job 
They have to raise money and they have to do it legally, not commit securities fraud. They don't know how to do that. Um, they they have this great name and great logo, but turns out that, that that's trademarked. They can't use it or they or they run a risk of being sued. You have tons and tons of sounds and smells. You have exponentially more employees than any other retail use. If you think about a dress shop, for instance, and, and they might have two people working in the store all day. You're going to have 20 in a restaurant that's not even very big. And if it's a big restaurant, right. you'll have 100. Sure. Right? So your employees, all of a sudden, just just by being, you step up in your sophistication in labor and employment. You have to comply with more things because you have that many employees. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so it's we serve them in so many ways because it is, it is just not what they do. So those are and, lots of issues you're talking about. Do you handle awesome. all of those for them? We do. But do you specifically cover all, I mean, you know, handling a slip and fall, personal injury versus employment law, two very different disciplines. Right. So my, my practice is, is centralized in the real estate and corporate side of things. I can speak to trademarks. I know way too much about TABC permits, but I'm not the one that actually gets it. We have another lawyer here. Okay. Uh, we have two labor and employment attorneys. We have four securities attorneys. So it's my, my role now being as big as we are i do a lot of i do a lot of counseling with clients and and when i have to roll up my sleeves which is right now a lot it's it's mainly based in the real estate and corporate sides of their transactions okay but all of your clients are bars and restaurants for, for the all of them but not all of them it's probably 60 percent of our of our practice maybe 50 percent okay but I, yeah. on the on the not cool side that, that nobody cares about and wants to talk about. We represent two dozen banks and we draft 500 loan packages a year, if not more. We represent landlords, we represent developers and, and you know, we can talk about, we can talk about entitlements and we can talk about drafting easements, but that's, that's typically not what people want to talk about. It's yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand. For someone to hit pause. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to get a sense of your, uh, of your overall practice. So how'd you get into this? I mean, how did you get into this sexy, you know, bar and restaurant business? The, uh, the, the real answer is, is timing and, and luck. And it wasn't on purpose. Okay. It, we're in 2022, but in 2004, Austin didn't really have a dining scene. Austin, people think of Austin now as, is the bachelor bachelorette party or, or capital of the world. Yeah. And, and people are coming here on vacation and we get lots and lots of tourists just want to come experience the Austin vibe. It, it's a different place than, than it, it was then, then it was still kind of sleepy in a college town and still really hip and cool, but we didn't draw tourists. We barely had a convention center. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't a place that, that people were flocking to, let alone out of state restaurant tours, et cetera. The point of this is, Nobody was really focusing on the space. They just, they just weren't. Everybody had a restaurant or two, but we certainly didn't have the scene we have today. And, and I was fresh out of school and ended up picking up one kind of bar restaurant that has now been sold. And I'm sad, but it's been torn down. Everybody made a ton of money. So that's great. And it's now a Soho house. If that's not you know, just a nice, nice microcosm of what Austin has become is this, this, 
bar restaurant that I represented just happened to have three principals in it that between them owned 30 other units, or at least had influence around about 30 other, other units. Yeah. And I guess I did a nice job and they came back and said, well, can you do this for this one and this for this one? And it just happened that Austin was entering the beginning of its explosion. And I just happened to be there at the time. And I just happened to have that client at the time that, that over the years, it's just grown. And 2009 or so, the mark, we had our first market correction. Yep. Uh, uh, is that what you uh, call that? Is that what you call that? A market correction? Recession, the great recession. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting at my desk and my desk is covered with work because we're, we're just, we're just four lawyers and, and we're just covered up in work. Yeah. But I go to, I go to bars and, and meet friends from law school for happy hour and they're, they're getting laid off. They're six, seven year lawyers and they're lamenting that they had to give their Audi back and they don't know how they're going to afford their, their crazy apartment rent. And I'm just kind of nodding my head and going, man, that's terrible. And they're like, you must just be getting crushed right now. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really hurting. It's, it's a real rough time. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm just, it is snowing paper in my office. And I realized as I looked at my desk, it was like, it was, it was two dozen restaurants. I was reviewing leases and drafting corporate docs and all the stuff that we already talked about that I, I thought to myself, I should brand this. I mean, it's just, people are already kind of calling me the bar restaurant lawyer. I, I should just, I should just run with this. There you go. So at the time I hired a PR company and said, what can we do about this? Can we, can we do something like this? And, and at the time it was a significant amount of money for the Hajar household, but, but I was like, let's do it. Let's, yeah. let's do it. And nobody's called me and said, I, I hired you because I saw your article in the business journal or, or your profile and whatever. But we went from probably a hundred units to about 5,000. We haven't counted in six years. So it's, it's, we probably get at least three units a day of people calling and saying, Hey, can you help me with this? So it's, okay. it, it, it's snowballed and, wow. and it's, it, it takes a unique team. The more you're in it, you realize that, those clients, for instance, just by example, in a commercial lease, they don't know that you need to request and negotiate valet parking because they've never done it. Right. They don't know that you need to ensure that you can't get tricked into a default. By example, most shopping centers have an HVAC located on the roof. Most leases require that the tenant maintain its own HVAC system. Scroll down five pages, and there's another provision that says that the tenant is prohibited from going on the roof. So how do you maintain your HVAC if you can't go up there? <laughs> kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Right. It's, it's tons of stuff like that. Um, so you have to be an expert in that. I mean, it's right? Making sure they can cut the concrete to put in their pipes. There's a yeah. lot of leases that prohibit cutting slabs. And if a landlord decides that they don't like you, they just kick your ass out. So it's stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually, I was in the real estate business for a while and I had uh, restaurants as tenants and uh, it's the riskiest business you can be in because you spend an enormous amount of money fitting out the restaurant and you pay for that. And if it doesn't work, you're screwed. I, 
<laughs> right? It's crazy. Right yeah. now, I would say it's well over a million dollars to finish out a restaurant. Yeah. And you're going to be reliant on your contractor to do it right. right. And then a whole bunch of employees who don't give a shit. Right. They're just, you just, it is so hard right now. It's a transient industry. People come in, you train them six months later, they're out. Yep. People come in, you, you think that this is someone who's going to be with you for a while and then they get a dollar more an hour and they go to another place. It is such a hard, it is such a hard job that if, if diners really understood how hard it is to operate a restaurant, they would tip a lot more. Yeah, no, I have no interest in owning a restaurant. It's a, or, it's or a very I difficult, difficult business. I mean, people people do it because it, you know it's 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 fun and high profile, and you get to say this is my restaurant. But the operational side of it is very very challenging. I know that. It's one of the more rewarding pieces of my practice is is dealing with those people because it's it's a you're in a metaphoric trench every day. And there's, you know, that being said, it can be very lucrative. You own a bar that does really well. It's fistfuls of cash. It is just so much money. Right. So the upside is there. There's tremendous risk, but the upside is there. If you can, if you can manage it, it, it can be a crazy amount of, a crazy amount of money in a short amount of time. Right. Well, I've literally seen people that don't have a pot to piss in, manage to cobble together the money. And a year later, they're worth six, $7 million. Like, it's crazy if it hits. Right. But you better know what you're doing. Right. Get lucky that your place caught fire. Do you get involved at all in the ownership? No, not really. Um, it, it creates, it creates a conflict of interest. Yeah. Between you and the client where, where somebody says, Hey, you know, you want a couple of points in the deal and, and, you know, maybe offset some legal fees. And I want to be helpful because I want to be helpful to the client. But now any question that they ask you, hey, should we expand or, hey, can I fire this person or, hey, can, should we sell or is now tainted because you own 2%, even though you don't care, right? Sure. I don't care I own it. But now am I telling you, hey, you should settle that lawsuit because I think it's better for the restaurant or is it because it's better for me as an owner? Right. Or, or is it? Am I telling you to fight the lawsuit because I'm your lawyer, even though I own a couple of points, right? It's just, it, it gets icky and, and there are ways to do it. There's, there's disclosures you can make and it can be, it can be kosher, but it's, I, I'd rather not, the older I get, the less, the less I feel held to do it. I'd rather just work with the client on, on the fees and go invest in other stuff just 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 to make sure that that our our conflicts and duties are clear yeah, that's yeah. fair every, enough you probably talk about duties a lot with more nerdy lawyers than me <laughs> it's something that we think about but not yeah. something that i that i sit around and, and pontificate about but we right. certainly of it. so that's why i don't typically okay do okay fair fair enough that makes sense I thought I'd ask you anyway, put you on the spot, but uh, so how'd you become a lawyer? Tell, let's pivot a little bit. Tell me how you even became a lawyer. Like what was that journey like? Um, it, it truth, truth is I wanted to be an investment banker and, okay. uh, coming out of school. I, I was very much into technology, management, information systems, computers. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? Where are you from? Where, where did you go to school? I went to their name. 
Okay. And uh, I graduated in 2000. So leading up to it, it was, it was stock market, NASDAQ through the roof, yep. Dell and, and Amazon and a lot of places that don't exist anymore. Right. We're, we're worth hundreds and hundreds per share. And it was all very exciting. And so I wanted to go to Goldman Sachs. I was going to be the next big investment banker that, that took over the tech world. And then the NASDAQ market decided that that wasn't going to happen. And so my, my dad had been on me literally from middle school. Go to law school. You're a good writer. You'd be a great lawyer. You should go to law school. You should go to law school. And I'm like, okay, dad, thanks. Good. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, and so I, I thinking, all right, how am I going to get to the investment world? If Goldman Sachs is going to hire me this year, you know what? I'll go to law school. Fine. I'll go to law school. Fine. So took the LSAT legitimately. It was, it was literally that kind of a decision was fine. I'll, I'll kick this can down the road for three years. I'll, I'll apply to the places again after law school who wouldn't want now uh, a lawyer who understands finance guy. has a good base in logic to, yep. to go back and the market yep. will be there and I'll go do it. So, so I applied to some schools and got into Texas, came home. Austin was a very different place in, in 2000 than when I left it in, at 17 years old in 1996, there was just a whole new world open to me that I, I couldn't visit. Is that where you grew up? You grew up in Austin? Okay. Mm -hmm. And and Texas was ranked high and at the time so cheap that that when I compared it to the other places that I applied and got into and looked at the scholarship money and things like that, it was just a no Texas, it was just a no-brainer. It sure. is it is such a well-regarded school that I just thought, okay, fine, I'll come back to Austin, I'll do my thing, and then I'll go to New York and all will be well. I started clerking for a real estate law firm just just to try to get experience and see what that was like. And I mean, within the first week, I literally never thought about doing anything else again. It just, it was, Clicks. it was such a good fit for how I think it, it is, it is the analysis of real estate law is so much like coding or, or doing a crossword. It's, it's insane. I'm actually surprised that we don't have more former coders that go to law school and become transactional lawyers. Really? Why? Tell me about that. Why? why I, I never made that connection. That's interesting. It, it lives inside of a finite box. I mean, you have to, you have to be very, you have to be very creative. Yeah. There's a difference in, in somebody who's a creative that can create a sculpture, for instance, someone who has an artistic uh, ability to draw or paint or sculpt something like that than somebody who's creative in in logic so when you're coding it's a lot of ifs thens you have to you have to know the language of whatever you're coding in but it's yeah. logic to get from a to b and it's the same in contracts you you need to get from a to b in what it is that you're drafting and you have to have a really keen memory to think about okay i need a mechanism that's going to do this where have i done this before how have i I remember I did something three years ago that was this, and I can tweak that mechanism, pull it over here, rework it, and it'll be perfect for what we're doing here. That is like programming. You're right. And so it, it really fit, yeah. really fit well. And 
I, I the, the firm I was clerking for is not around anymore. Just that's the kind of nature of the legal businesses. Unless you're in a very, very large firm, they typically will, will have their life and then the, the partners retire and off it goes. But it was a very small two-man firm. And, and with that came lots of real work. It wasn't just, hey, go file this. It was, hey, go draft this LLC. So I learned so much about corporate law and real estate law as a clerk that by the time I came out, I was just way ahead of the game and, and really, truly never wanted to do anything else. It was like this, I can do it. I can sit down, I can crank, I can grind hours and it's not even hard, right? It's not like, I hate this. It's like, you sit down and you go, all right, let's do it. That's great. It's grinding hours, it's grinding hours till four in the morning. My favorite thing to do every day. No, but, but I can still do it. I'm 43. And if I need to sit down and grind all night, I can still do it. And, and I don't mind it. My wife minds it. My kids <laughs> mind it, but I don't mind it. I, I turn up the music and we just crank and it is what it is. And yeah. it can still, to me, it can still be enjoyable, which, which is, which is an affirmation that I chose the right profession. That's great. That's terrific. Uh, your dad was a dad, a lawyer or no? No, he sold swimming pools. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. he wanted to go to law school. That's interesting. Oh, he tells me every day, I'd have been a great lawyer. Okay, Dad, you'd have been a great lawyer. <laughs> Anyone else in the family? No, my, my, I have an extended cousin who it's like my grandmother's, my grandmother's sister's grandson. So I don't know what that would be. My second cousin, third cousin. Uh, he is a he is a U.S. district attorney out in L.A. and and handles giant giant federal cases, it, it, big 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 giant drug lords, and, and he might be on this he might be on this crypto guy, for instance, like that okay. kind of sure. Case work. Um, we're we're kind of close. Not we have, it's all fine, but it's he, he yeah, lives yeah, up. Yeah. 55 and i'm 43 and live in texas with two kids so but but really nice guy and very accomplished but now other than us i have one other cousin that's a, a lawyer who's an assistant da in, in la and that's it okay yeah i was gonna ask you if you had any like mentors that kind of like you you know you just pushed you along or you know i had um, yeah. i've had a few informal ones i don't have a lifelong mentor i I've, if there's something I think that, that I do differently than a lot of people and, and my wife, I think is the same way. We both have been able to look at what other people do wrong and just don't do that. That's good. <laughs> if I cannot screw up what you screwed up. That's, that's better than that. So it's, it's honestly, so I've had lots of kind of mini mentors who have said, if there's something I did wrong, it was this and go, okay, I won't do that then. <laughs> and and <laughs> kind of helped shape my path. Uh, but, but honestly, what I've found in, in growing a law firm is you have to be really selfless as a boss. It, you, you have to be, you have to be empowering of people sometimes thanklessly right sometimes you 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 empower somebody and they're like hey great that was really awesome thanks for empowering me giving me all this experience i'm gonna go move to this other place now have a nice day right but you just have to do it you just you just have to do it 
and and if I and it or not if I if it, it if if you can treat your employees or of councils or your partners with respect and and be giving of yourself, it's you may lose a battle, but you win you win the war. Yeah, and, and so our firm has grown. I don't know five x at this point in the last six years, seven years. Um, just Texas? Are you, are you outside of Texas or just in, in, in Austin? We only have offices in Austin and Dallas. Okay. We do work outside of Texas, yeah. but our offices are here. The restaurants honestly find us. It, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. We'll get a call and it's, how did you even find me? And it's so-and-so recommended me and then I Googled you and saw that you know what you're doing, so. Well, after the show, you're going to get a you're gonna a lot more gonna start calling you. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Can't yeah. wait. <laughs> uh, interesting. But I mean, so how do you scale it? I mean, if you have five thousand growing units, you're man you're helping. I mean, how do you scale it? I mean, how much leverage do you get from a, a lawyer? You you don't get as much as you would think. That's the challenge with law firms is is that the labor is if we break it down and, and stop talking about actual humans and look at it just from a macro perspective law yeah. firms labor units lawyers are expensive yeah. it, it you have to take a leap every time you hire one and and it helps it helps if you're at a big firm who represent giant institutional clients where they literally don't care when they look at a, a first year associate excuse me and that associate is billing almost a thousand an hour or 800 right. an hour that that's boggling to my mind. I, I don't I don't understand how that even works. But when you're Amazon, you just flat don't care. Somehow it just works. well, you just explained it. I mean, those lawyers exist because of the corporate, the corporate world. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. For us, for us at our billing rates, hiring mm -hmm. that that incremental lawyer when we represent, we do have some larger national concepts that are on our client list. But I would say that most of our clients are medium-sized in the restaurant world anyway medium-sized restaurant groups three units five units and then we have an ocean of first timers one unit maybe open their second unit yeah so there's there's finite budgets you have to be conscious of what they can consciously pay or, or physically pay yeah. for for legal services and and realize that again they're out of their element they don't know and so when you say hey this is going to be forty thousand dollars and they go oh that's a lot. And you're like, it is a lot. You yeah. just don't know that that's what it costs to do it because nobody's ever told you before. So for us, how do we scale? It's, it's a discussion that we have all the time. What I, what I have found is not to be repetitive. The more mm -hmm. I have empowered the people who work here and the, the team, the more stability there is because it's not just reliant on, on me it's it's having five me's that can talk with clients and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be me on that conference call it can be any one of our people in whatever section that they're in having that confidence and having those clients get the confidence of those lawyers builds the stability to be able to go okay we now have we now have a foundation to be able to go hire the incremental lawyer because now we can go out and ensure that we have a, a workflow coming in to support it. And, and so it's a slower growth than, than people that just decide to go 
do insurance defense, but it's a more, it's a more, that's what I'm looking for, sustainable growth. Sustainable, yeah. Interesting. Um, I think that I think that if we had a set where I'd love to get the firm, I think if we could get the firm to thirty or thirty-five, that's a that's a really good number. And and the reason I like that number is it's still nimble enough to take on your first timer with some hand holding and be able to discount bills and not have a massive amount of overhead. But it's big enough that if you need to do a $200 million transaction, which we do, you can do it. You have a bench that's deep enough of senior level lawyers where you can go, okay, we can take this on. And not only can we take it on, but we can take it on at 35 or 40% less than if you were at big law. So that's, that's the longer term goal is to grow us by another probably 10, 12. And, and I think we'll get there. Uh, I'm, I'm confident that we'll get there. It, it's, we were on the trajectory of getting there in the next couple of years until this, until this recent inflationary pressure. Yeah. But a firm like ours, to me, it's opportunity. We'll, we'll be seeing layoffs at big law soon because they, they, they run on a margin, right? Everything is, is big. You're, you're big growing and you're big when you scale back. So I can already see the layoffs happening that the headhunters are starting to call with, Hey, do you want to hire, are you interested in so-and-so from so-and-so? And the salary requirements are still astronomical coming out of them, but give it another year and people will start getting a little more realistic and we'll be growing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, listen, I can tell you, think about it like a, like a real uh, entrepreneur, like a business, which uh, is different than many law firms. It, um, at the end of the day, it's it's a very unique business, but it is one. Yep. It's one that you are you are in service. That's something that in law school they do not really tell you because they're they're kind of pushing you to big law, big big corporate litigation where you may not ever talk to a client and they'll pay you just a ton of money. Yeah. Until they let you go when you don't make partner. But. It, is that how it is? It's binary. It's like you either make a party or you don't. Oh, yeah. uh, and but it, it's a it's a business of service. You are serving, and for your clients, or at least for our clients anyway, this is the most important thing that they're doing. It's it's unless you are representing the Amazons or the big companies of the world, where it's just one widget talking to another widget about whatever's happening. For, for my clients, even if they are three, five, seven, 10 unit restaurants, when they're going through something, they're opening a new spot. This is it. This is the sure. most important thing. They may think this is an emergency. You know that it's not, but to them it is. So, so for us, it's a, it's, we have to, we consciously think about the practice of law as, as an act of service, albeit a well-paid service, but a service where people are on high alert at all times. And then at the same time, we also have to think about it as a business where we, we can't be giving everything away. We still have to make sure that, that we're profitable, that, that we keep lights on. And it's an interesting practice. It's a balance that, that I think about personally on a daily basis, but, but I think that's what makes us different from other places. There you go. And, and judging by the, uh, the, uh, the wine cellar you have behind you, you, you're doing okay. So keep up the good okay. Well, listen, just, just, I want, just to wrap it up here, because I, I want to let you get back to work. Um, what do you want to leave uh, with the audience? Just sort of final words about your firm and best way to connect. 
Uh, best way to connect is is we certainly have a website, legalstrategy.com. Uh, you can find us. We're very easy to find. Uh, my Instagram is restaurant lawyer. And and if you like wine and I'm gonna and follow it, you. It's frying, then then you can follow me on Instagram. That's a it's a you have to appreciate dry humor and sarcasm. And if you do, then we'll get along. And if not, then then that's that's okay too. Just hire us anyway. And, <laughs> but uh but uh, from a from I guess parting words perspective, if I'm talking to to bar and restaurant owners, especially young ones, it's there's a lot going on in what it is that that they're doing that we have a unique perspective on. So we love being of service to those people because we understand their issues better than anybody else. And I'm very confident saying that. Beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, uh, for everybody, again, uh, Kareem Hajar with his own law firm, Hajar Peters in Austin, Texas and Dallas, I guess, and expanding, expanding is going to take over the world. This, uh, this is Thank sponsored you. by Emotion Track. We're a legal tech platform that um, has a digital platform that helps litigators um, collect mock jury type insights with our platform for use for mediation and trials. So uh, thanks again, Kareem. Really fun. Enjoy spending time with you. Have a great rest of your day. You bet.